Well, let's continue in Isaiah. You know, for years I was intimidated by, to preach this book, and uh, in some ways I still am, right? It's God's Word, but it has been a joy, and uh, you just take it a bit at a time and trust God through it. It's been good. We are nearing the end. There's 66 chapters. We are in 46, so if you want to turn there, Isaiah 46, 1 through 13, we'll go. So a little context, now many of you have heard this a lot, but some of you are new. This is the book of Isaiah, is written several hundred years before the coming of Christ, Old Testament. Israel, God's people, because of their sin, was carried off into captivity to Babylon, right? That great and terrible nation came and carried them off. God predicted also that they would be held there for 70 years and they would be released. And that's where we are in the story God has raised up a man named Cyrus. We've talked about the past couple weeks. He comes up again today, who is a conqueror who comes to conquer Babylon and release their captives, right? So we're going to see that. He is referred to in verse 11. If we could peek ahead a little bit here. He is the bird of prey from the east. He is the man of his counsel. So God is here. One of the things that God keeps bringing up in the book of Isaiah is that his fulfillment of prophecy is proof that he's the living God. You have the other gods who don't even talk or respond or hear, but he is the living God, and part of that proof is that he predicts things and they come to happen because he also does them. He accomplishes his will. And so as I was praying about this text yesterday, I, often I'll just go to the Lord and just say, what, do you, what is your one thing that you want your people to know? And it's in here, it's in this text. And I, th- I felt like it was this, that he cares for you. Like, I don't know if you heard that in the text. It's this text about idols and war and the bird of prey. But God is doing something in history. And it is preparing a people. That's it. And you're that people, assuming you are in Christ. You've clung to him as your savior. And God cares for you. First Peter 5, cast your anxieties upon him. Why? Because he cares. So let me move through this text, and we're going to come back to that. I'm going to show you where this is. Let's start at verse 1. Bel bows down, and Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. Who is this? Bel and Nebo are the gods, the top two gods of Babylon. They had several gods. Think of kind of like the Greeks or the Romans, right? Well, Bel and Nebo are the top dogs. And they're going into captivity. Their gods are statues. Representations of their gods are being carried away. Look at this. Those things you carry are born as burdens on weary beasts. They, Bel and Nebo, stoop. They bow down together. They cannot save, but themselves go into captivity. This is the great irony of the gods of Babylon and the gods of the nation. They're literally being carried and being taken captive. Now imagine society was to you know, fall apart, and you need to make a run for it, and you grab the important things out of your house. What do you grab? The kids, right? Don't forget them. In this context, they would have said, grab the gods. You can't leave your gods, even though they've obviously failed you. You get them, and you take them with you. And these are 
probably huge idols. These aren't like little carved idols. These are the gods of the nation, the empire, and they would have huge stone idols weighing tons. And they would load them up on these beasts of burden, and they would be burdened by them. And one of the things that I'm seeing here is that these idols burden the beasts, they burden the nations, and they burden the people. Your idols are a burden. We go after them because we seek pleasure, and we seek rest, and we seek worship. But the irony is that they are a burden that we carry around all day. In verse 3 to 4, contrast God with these idols. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of those of the house of Israel who have been born by me from your birth. I carry you. Why? Because he cares for you. The gods of the nations are carried by men, for they're made by men. God's people are carried by God because they were made by God. He carries us. It's a role reversal. We go to false gods seeking rest, and instead, heap up burdens. God calls us to him and says, I carry you. Why? Because I made you. You were born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs, I will carry you. God will carry you. He'll carry me. Even from before I was born, he was carrying me. He had a vision of me. He had a vision of you. And you had zero power to bring yourself into existence. But God carried you, birthed you. And if you've trusted in Christ, he has birthed you again. And he continues to carry you to this day. And when will that end? It will not end. Even to your gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made you and I will bear, I will carry, and I will save. God is saying, you don't have to carry your burdensome gods. I will carry you. Do you feel that? You feel cared for? You feel carried? You know, one of the most blasphemous, horrific things that has ever been written, you may have read, it's called Footprints in the Sand. cute, right? Are you guys familiar with it? One night, a man had a dream. He dreamed he was walking along the beach with the Lord. And across the sky flashed scenes from his life, and for each scene, he noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to him and the other to the Lord. So they're walking together. When the last scene of his life had flashed before him, he looked back at the footprints in the sand, and he noticed that many times along the path of his life, there was only one set of footprints. He also noticed that it happened at the very lowest and saddest times of his life. This really bothered him, and he questioned the Lord about it. Lord, you've said that once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I've noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there's only one set of footprints. I don't understand why when I needed you most, you would leave me. 
The Lord replied, My son, my precious child, I love you, and I would never leave you. During your times of trial and suffering, when you see only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. Ta-da, right? I get the sentiment, but I believe what the scriptures teach us is that there is only one set of footprints, always. God carries us from the beginning to today to the end. This is the promise. This is the great hope. We sing this song. I'm picky about songs. Some of you would probably like that. And Oh, children. <clears throat> oh, okay. When I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. When? We should change it. Since. This is subtle. It's in there. Was there this idea that we live our lives, we walk, we bear the burdens, and then when it gets a little heavy, we call the pinch hitter in. Thanks for the assist. Well, God is saying, I carry you who have been born by me from before your birth and carried from the womb, even to your old age. I am he into gray hairs. I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and I will save. There is one set of footprints, and they are the Lord's. And he does it because he cares for you. We try to take control of our lives and carry things and build idols because we don't think he cares for us. Let's just continue here in verse 5. God is unlike, again, the created gods because he is the creator. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god and then they fall down and worship. We talked about this before, the irony and tragedy of man who is the image of God making gods and then bowing before them. God, the real God, unlike them, is uncreated. He's not crafted from gold. He is self-existent. He can carry because he is alive. As opposed to verse 7, these idols, they lift it to their shoulders, they carry it, they set it in its place, and it stands there. It cannot move. One cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Now, that stands in contrast to God, who not only can move, does move, moves through history, moves through space and time, moves through the hearts of men. He cannot be made to sit still, right? He's untamed, flying through the centuries. And he answers. Now, this, this begs the question, like, Paul says this in Philippians 2. There's different ways this could be translated. It could be translated if or since. 
Either way, this one says if, and I think the sentiment stands. Paul is going to encourage us to love one another, right? Let me just fast forward to verse 4, Philippians 2.4. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He talks about Christ's humility. But he prefaces it, right? Before he exhorts us to do this, he says this. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, affection and sympathy, therein complete my joy and love one another. And that's the question. Is there any encouragement? Like, have you, do you know God cares for you? Have, has this been an experience in your life? Or does he, is your experience that, is that he does not answer? Like the mute idols. Like, is he the living God to you? Or is this religion and philosophy? Is there any encouragement in Christ? Is there any comfort from love? I called a woman recently, one of our members, who's been on lockdown in their home, except to go to the grocery store as far as I can tell. They haven't left the house since like April. And I call her, I'm like, how are you? How are you dealing with the separation, the isolation? She simply said, Jesus is with me. She has present comfort from God. That's the power that will save you from the idols. They don't answer. And so we got to reckon with this. And I'm exhorting us to go to God and cry out to Him until He answers you because your life depends on it. That's why we go to idols. Because God seems silent and distant And the idols, we can reach them, and we can carry them. And we'll carry them around all day, and they will be a burden to our hearts and lives, but at least we've got something. Is there any comfort? Is there any consolation? Is there any participation in the Spirit? See, God knows that We are small, right? He knows our frame that we are dust and we cannot attain these heights. So he sends a helper, someone to shine light in the dark. You may have heard of him, Tim Keller. (laughs) (laughs) He does give us teachers. This is what I'm doing here, hopefully. It's helpful, but is there participation in the Spirit? What does that mean? I think it means a lot of things. One of the things it means is God answers. He's not silent. There's a lot of reasons for why it can be hard to hear the voice of God. But He is not silent. The idols are, they don't hear, they don't speak. He's contrasting himself. He doesn't go, well, I don't speak either, but deal with it. He speaks. He speaks in his word, 
And there's participation in the Spirit, whereby the Spirit of God mingles with the Spirit of man and speaks comfort. It may be an audible voice. I, it, it can vary. But we sing the song, right? You, you cause my heart to be still. Does he? Is there any participation in the Spirit? I, called a, I talked to another young lady this week about masks. And, uh, oh, just all the complexities. And there are people that have different opinions about different issues. Great. But here's the tragedy in that moment for me was I said to her, would you sit with someone who is in a different place than you and talk? And she said, and maybe she doesn't mean it, and, but in the moment, she said this. No one ever changes their mind. What are we doing? What's the, why talk? Just make a roll, Pastor. No one's going to change their mind. Nobody would consider anyone more important than themselves. Thanks, Paul, for the exhortation. Church is over. We're going home. Nobody would ever sacrifice. Nobody would bend. What are we doing? And I know that that's how she felt in the moment, and I trust in God that that's not the reality because we are his children and his spirit works and brings repentance and change, but that's where we default, right? What's the point? I just want to exhort us in, like to participate in the spirit and love one another and consider each other more important. And there's a million ways that could apply, but let's not Right off the living God. Because see, that's what we're doing in that moment. You're right. I won't change my mind and consider you more important than me. But the Spirit in me will. That's why He's there. To invade God's people and bring change and bring love and bring unity and bring power. To bring encouragement. To bring comfort. To be a different people. Let me just fast forward to verse 13 here. I will bring my righteousness near. It is not far off, and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. We'll come back to that. <laughs> Talked about that last week, but he brings it up again. So the Israel is held captive. He's raising up Cyrus, the bird of prey from the east, the man of his counsel. He's going to conquer Babylon. He's going to bring salvation in Zion. He's going to bring his people back to the land. And I just ask, so what? They were already in the land. 
What is God doing? Think of, you know, our salvation and what God is doing in the new heavens and new earth. Like, is he recreating the Garden of Eden? Is that salvation just to take us back somewhere, back to the land, back to the garden? The garden had a snake in it. And two people apt to follow him. It's not a good place. It's good for its purpose and why God created it. We're not going back. In a sense, I believe God saves Israel out of Babylon to send them back to the land so that they can go back to the land and go, this is it? It's not our ultimate need. Our ultimate need, we sing about, is to be saved and sin no more. The sin issue. What's the point of taking all those sinners, all those stubborn of heart, idol makers, and then just moving them geographically? Is that going to do anything? Do anything. They need the true salvation, which comes in Christ. All right? This is just a shadow that points to Christ that God commanded Israel not to make any images of him because he was going to make his own image of him, namely Jesus. And he is God incarnate, and he comes to us merciful. Just think about this. The gods of the nations and what they represent, power to destroy and conquer and subdue nations, and Christ has that. We sing about it. But there's a peculiar, peculiar glory there and that the way that Christ ultimately subdues his people is by loving them, right? To some extent, anybody who's stronger can kick someone's butt, and God can certainly do that. His glory is that he didn't do that for us. And he came and he made himself vulnerable, and he lived the life that we should have lived. He gave his uh, righteousness to us at the cross, right? Here's the clear, simple gospel. When we trust in the Son of God as our living sacrifice, He takes our sin, our burdens, our idols, and the wrath of God is poured out on Him instead of us, and we receive righteousness. That's the righteousness brought near. We are made sons, we are adopted, and we are being carried. It is not done there's a sense in which the work of Christ is done, right? He, from the cross, says it's finished. What it means this is the price is 100% paid. But then there's him taking his people and shaping them and forming them and carrying them. This work here, until your gray hairs I will carry you, that's not finished. He is continuing to carry you, to carry me. And so I invite you, Right To cast your burdens upon the Lord. For some of you, this is a new thing. Maybe you've grown up around Christianity, or maybe you haven't, and it just seems like this system of laws and cultural mandates, but at the essence, it's this. It's the promise of a living, loving God who cares for you and therefore will carry you. Cast yourself upon the Lord. And for those of you who know him, do it again. Recast yourself. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I think that's all I have today. So let's...
enter a time of response and go to God and ask for His Spirit to help you. Many of you feel your weakness um, when you're singing and uh, God feels distant and just ask for the Spirit, right? We don't have it in us to conjure up God and faith and His voice. He's merciful. He knows our frame. So we come to Him, vulnerable, and we ask. Ask Him specifically. Maybe you know He's already shown you this, but there are idols that are burdening you. You're carrying them. And God asks, ask Him to show you. Some of you know what they are. Familiar and acquainted. Some of you, we have blind spots, right? And we don't see it. And I ask God, what is it? What is it you're asking me specifically to cast upon you? What care? What concern? What um, vice? Ask him and listen. Listen. So we're going to do that. We'll sing. Um, if you feel like God is giving you a word or revelation for the church, um, that's not just for you, but something for the body, I would ask that you talk to me. Um, and if you're in Cedar Falls, you can talk to the MC, and we'll discern whether or not that's for the body today. And we'll take communion. So hopefully you got a communion cup on the way in. If not, they are available by the entrance. And this is a time to remember, this is where God brought His righteousness near, right? This is what we're doing. That's the place where He really bore our griefs, right? We sing... Uh, and another song, oh, what is it? I had it here. He took my sins in our sorrows, and he made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died for me. This is the place where he did that. And so we come and eat and remember, right? So let's read the words of Christ when he sat with the disciples and taught them about communion. He took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is where he purchased our souls. So we come and eat either on your own or with friends or family as you pray. Let's remember by God's Spirit. So God, we do invite your Spirit to stir within us and give us that comfort Paul speaks about in Philippians 2. Give us participation in the Spirit. Empower us to love one another from there. God, we need you to do this. So we love you. We thank you for your care for us. And I pray that you would manifest it in deep and powerful ways. Amen.